Hey, hey. Hey. Just had Danny Silk. We had Danny on. Man. It was, we had a lot of fun. Yeah. We talked about his book on Punishable. We talked about how punishment is not a thing. Danny is, for us, in our house, the love guy. Like, Danny's been so influential. His teaching has been so influential in our lives and in our ministries, our parenting, how we counsel. I didn't even tell Danny that all of all of my pre-marriage counseling is his material. I mean, oh, that's cool. Danny's had a huge impact, but Danny knows about honor. He knows about the Father, and he knows about the goodness of God, and it comes through in every uh, word that he speaks, and he particularly was the forerunner in our lives uh, around the idea that, that we aren't punishable, mm. that God is a, not a God of punishment, but a God that restores, a God of love. Mm. And so everything we talked about was really focused on that, but we did get into what the Father's like. We talked about the garden, the fall, mm. uh, and we even got into hell. Yeah, he talked about what hell is and his his understanding of that and but yeah, it was it was a just a really good interview. We, yeah. I really enjoyed it. We also we talked about scripture. There, I mean, there were just a, a myriad of subjects that we we talked about, and obviously we we got to ask him about what his favorite taco is. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> he uh, he told us he did. He so. described heaven, and he also talked about. He gave a word about the cultural moment that we're in, uh, in regards to leadership and the church. Where we're going. So and where we're going. So uh, yeah, great interview. Yeah, this a, is a real treat, guys. Had a lot of fun. Yeah, enjoy. Man, it's good to good to hear from you. Good to have you come on here with us. Oh, thanks for having me. I don't know if you recall, we've met over the years, been connected and uh, called Bethel my home away from home for almost thirteen years now. So, Bill and you guys, you and Chris have had huge impacts. We've been out. We actually, the first time we officially met was at um, a week-long school that you and Paul uh, used to do together. Okay. Was it at the uh, Gaia? It was at the, yeah, the hotel. Yeah, the Gaia Hotel out there in Anderson. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was the School of Transformation and Administration or something like that. Yeah. Yes. I, it was, it's, I think it had super, did it have supernatural in it too? It may have. Like. There it is, of course. It has had turbo, supernatural. <laughs> but uh, I'm so glad you're here. And uh, I would love to, by the end of this hour, uh, end our love affair with punishment. Yeah. That would be great. Yeah. Well, we'll see what we can do. We'll see how strong that bond is. Let's see how strong that bond is. I've literally used that analogy of the rope. I actually used it with my son. He is, he was encouraging someone last night, a good friend of his, and I, I used the analogy again. I said, have I ever told you the rope analogy? And he was like, Dad, oh my gosh, yes, I've heard the rope analogy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, don't let go of your end, son. Don't let go of your end. There you go. Uh, it's good to have you, man. We're, we're so grateful. Uh, we'd love to talk with you about the new book about Unpunishable. And I think a good place to start is uh, right at the beginning of this book, uh, our infatuation with punishment. What is this infatuation with punishment? The trigger point for human beings in the cycle of punishment has, has a lot to do with this idea that we are so addicted to self-preservation and control. I mean, if I can find a way to get into control of a situation, uh, my fear level is going to fuel that. Mm. So depending on how afraid I am in any given situation, that is the, uh, that's like lighting the fuse of me trying to uh, save my own life and 
maneuver for more and more control. So that's what makes, you know, politics and wealth and fame so so hard to to manage in a healthy way because it offers more and more and more of a sense of self-preservation and control. Yeah. So it's very addictive. It's very addictive uh, be, because it feels like we're being successful in creating a world that we can control. I wrote a book called God is Not in Control, uh-huh. uh, which is a phrase uh, that I've probably first heard from Bill. The idea is that, that uh, the sovereignty of God is revealed through, through his love. Uh, that control is a counter counterfeit uh, paradigm. Foundationally, I'll just say this: it's the goodness of God. Uh, if there's anything that uh, I've grown in, uh, it's uh, the goodness of God, and that's certainly something I dis- discovered through Bill first. Uh, his statement: "God is in a good mood." I remember the first time I heard it, that absolutely rocked my world uh, 14 years ago because I wasn't sure at the time. <laughs> <laughs> most people, most people don't even believe that. They just like no. <laughs> He can't be in a good mood. He's got so much stress. It's, it's, that's exactly it. And 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 many many years later, I was at a Methodist church on staff because um, uh, maybe for some folks Bethel's a little bit um, out there. I wasn't at the time able to promote uh, Bethel uh, necessarily. Uh, would have been would have been counterproductive. Um, but so but I would start every message with God is in a good mood. So I actually be, they actually thought that was my quote. <laughs> uh, I would be the God is in a good mood guy. And they'd come in and ask, is he still in a mood, good mood today? And I'd be like, oh, man, he's in such a good mood. You should ask him for something. But but uh, <laughs> but one of the things that I was able to do is I was able to, uh, we were able to do a teaching series on on, on parenting. And, uh, and so I was able to be sneaky uh, because uh, if you're at a Methodist church, they love processes and, and they wanted uh, they wanted to know how to be better parents. We all do. And so I brought in your your um, loving your kids on purpose. And, uh, and what I loved about about this was it was so practical and so good and so transformative and also sneaky because at the end, the last couple of sessions, I would kind of open up a dialogue where I'd say, hey, okay, you guys are becoming convinced that your kids aren't aren't punishable, that that's not the dynamic or the kind of relationship you want to have with them. And it's just common sense as a parent. It's easy to grab a hold of. But I'd love if you guys applied that same uh, understanding to have a Heavenly Father. And I would literally watch people wrestle with that um, that idea that maybe they weren't punishable, that maybe God our Father doesn't interact with us uh, the way that uh, we've been just taught not to interact with our kids. And so I'd love you to speak to the nature of God and maybe how you how you discovered that, that our Father actually isn't looking to punish us, that that isn't the, the dynamic of our relationship. Yeah, well, I mean, that is the kind of the tricky part of loving our kids on purpose is that it is introducing the culture of honor into families uh, it's like my Trojan horse, you know, I was just kind of snuck it past yeah. them. They, they, they didn't even see it coming. Yeah. And it's exactly that. It, yeah. It's more a book that reveals the father to the parents than it is really a book yeah. about yeah. child rearing. I mean, there's a lot of, yeah. a lot of good stuff in there, but the shift that has to happen is you have to shift the way you see power structures 
the way you see authority functioning, the way you see the use of empowerment, uh, the 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 um, uh, the the role of authority and how it behaves. All of those things have to change if you're going to be successful in loving your kids on purpose. So it, it it's then an easy transition to see that God does not parent the way you were parented. Mm. Yeah. And God does not lead the way most of us have experienced earthly leadership. So if that is true, then what have I believed my entire Christian life? Right. <laughs> right. You know, and so uh, I have in the school of ministry, uh, they would have them, the students read Loving Your Kids on Purpose. None of them, well, a whole bunch of them are, are not parents. And they're like, they're like, wow, you know what this book taught me was how my father sees me. Wow. Like, yeah. well, ta-da, that would be the exact plan. <laughs> That's um, awesome. And people say, you know, hey, you, your book was the first book I ever read about Bethel. And I had no idea. I, you're like the gateway drug of Bethel. I'm like, yeah, it's true. It is true. I am the marijuana. <laughs> the heroin and the cocaine are on the other side waiting for you. <laughs> that's, 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 that's exactly what we used it for. And it's exactly what it did because the conversations that it opened up about our Heavenly Father uh, about about the perfection of his nature, of his love for us, and the fact that he's 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 never been walking around with a big stick. I grew up in a charismatic uh, Pentecostal uh, stream, and at times, under you know, uh, uh, if you recall the discipleship movement from many many years ago, uh, got sideways a little bit and, and abusive and controlling, and uh, and a much of that, I think, to be honest, was because of uh, of our understanding of the nature of God. Yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, it was a little bit of a setup. You know, you go from the Jesus movement, which is a bunch of undisciplined, out of control people that are experimenting with what they think freedom means. Right. And then you introduce them to a, a pretty uptight religious community who's mm. trying to then make some audibles that adjust how they are going to interface with this revival. Yeah. And eventually what you run into is, okay, these people don't know what to do with freedom. They need structure. And it's true. They did need structure, but what they didn't need was Nazi Christianity. <laughs> and, and that's, you know, that's because the leaders are scared that these new believers are going to damage their ministries. So in their fear, their self-preservation and control begins to climb and we call it shepherding. Right. And it's, it's not shepherding, it's terror. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was what it was. Yeah. You know, I'm so afraid of your freedom. Wow. That's really good. Danny, for you, when, when did some kind of you know, evolution for you occur in regards to this. Tell us a little bit about your journey and how you started thinking this way in regards to not viewing the nature of God as being, you know, one who punishes, but one who actually wants to restore us to, to our father. Well, I, I got saved in Weaverville under Bill Johnson's ministry. So, I mean, I, I started my life at, at 21 years old. I, I, 
I grew up without a father, you know, so I, I, and my mom is, is pretty out of control. My life's pretty out of control. Um, I, I, I run into this, this whole religious thing in the context of what Bill Johnson creates around him, which is, you know, I don't understand all these, uh, wounded Christians who were, controlled and punished and i you know i'm just shaking my head like i have no idea what ha- what are you talking yeah, about right because the only pastor i've ever ever had is bill so wow i mean that's my context uh, that's how I, that's how it starts for me and then from there i i i end up as a, a a foster care social worker i am i am recruiting christian foster parents mm. to uh, house, discipline, I- integrate into their families, children who've been tormented by crazy levels of punishment and abuse. And I'm, I'm wow. dropping these children off at the doorstep of people who basically have two tools. Mm. Do what I say, or I'm going to hurt you. That's, you know, and that's how they raised their beautiful family. That's how they raised them. Do what I say, or I'm going to hurt you until you do what I say. And so kids from a very small age, they learn, well, do what these people say, you know, and things go well for you. And and Mm. Christian parents don't realize how much they rely on intimidation. Well, you cannot use those tools with foster children. And so these poor foster parents had no tools. They're like, ah, what do you mean I can't threaten to hurt them, let alone hurt them? Like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And so I began to scour the planet looking for how do you raise a child if you can't hurt them? (laughs) And uh, I had a, you know, I had a child who, you know, we raised with the wooden spoon, man. I, we're just, you, you want me to get the spoon? I'll get the spoon. (laughs) Don't you, you check, check, check. You better be, settle down. Don't get the spoon. And my my daughter had a quart of wood in her butt before she was four years old. You know, like, okay, what are we going to do with this child? And Brittany was seven when we started making these adjustments. And so the first seven years of her life were pretty dominated by intimidation and uh, threat. And so we start making this journey because I am now trying to find how do we help these kids? And so mm. Love and Logic out of Golden, yeah. Colorado, Jim Fay, Foster Klein, that's, that was my first really big toolbox. And you'll see a bunch of that. I, I credit uh, Loving Our Kids on Purpose to me training other people in, in Love and Logic. But the, the blend between the connection really the emphasis on a heart to heart connection yeah. was the piece yeah. that the kingdom brought yeah the kingdom really brought in okay we have got to fight to exalt love over the issue that's so good so that love that's is so the good. ruler of the culture of our home instead of obedience compliance mm. uh authority that's so good. and I, I think that that's really the culture of honor we we went on to call that the culture of honor mm-hmm. where understanding that we, we are empowering people with our authority, not dominating people with our authority. Wow. That word connection is, um, I mean, we got that from me and my wife and I, we've used that over and over with our kids 
uh, it is the number one piece of advice I give in parenting. We have ours are, are 21, uh, almost 19 and 13. So we're starting to shift seasons, but, but that everything is about connection. That heart to heart connection is more important than anything else. Uh, because it's what you what you pull from and lean on uh, in parenting, but then obviously in any form of ministry in any form of interaction, that love is the highest goal. That connection is the highest goal. I also uh, grew up. Um, my dad, and mom, blew up a lot of spoons on my backside. I'm the I'm the firstborn <laughs> as well, so they only had a couple tools early on. Yeah. One of the most profound things, though, as my, as they as they grew, is my dad was one that would always. He would apologize like he was really good at apologizing too. Yeah, <laughs> I feel for him because he he only had two tools, so <laughs> so he had to spank me and then apologize. <laughs> but uh, but uh, I, I would love for you to talk about freedom. You mentioned that that that's the that's the goal, right? Uh, and what does freedom mean to you? What does that actually look like? Ah, uh, you know, it, it's that it's that illustration in the garden where you know, Adam and Eve are running around naked all day. Like, yeah, that's, that's the original design. You know, that's it. You know, uh, that's paradise. Anywhere where you get to run around naked with your girl all day, that's, (laughs) that's a perfect place. Um, But, but there has to be a poor choice. There has to be uh, a rule, you know, there has to be a ruler. Okay. And so when you get one rule, you now have a ruler. Whoever made the rule is the ruler. That's good. And so you, you, if you don't have a choice, you don't have freedom. Yeah. So a lot of people, I think if they were going to redesign the garden, they'd remove the tree of knowledge of good and evil yeah. so that yeah. we would be trapped in a paradise prison. Yeah. And... And, and a lot of people think that would that's what heaven's like. Heaven is where we get a lobotomy and we walk around going holy, holy, <laughs> holy for eternity, which feels like yeah. a place I want to go to. How about you? Oh, yeah. Let's. Yeah. No, yeah, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Actually, there's more freedom in heaven. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Which means there's poor choices in heaven. Wow. That's, uh... that's a profound thought. See, Lucifer, Lucifer found a poor choice, right? Yep. A third of the angels found a poor choice yeah and so you know we 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 have to realize that that earth is not church practice Mm. you know we're not gonna we're not gonna die and go to church right earth is freedom practice right it's it's there's more freedom you know where the presence of the lord is there is liberty or there's freedom yeah well there's more presence of the lord in heaven than there is here yeah Mm. yeah it's much more clear, much more clear. That's beautiful. And so with earth is all about freedom practice. Yeah, that's good. I, uh, yeah, I love the two trees in the garden. I I've used that. If God is love, love requires that we have the, the we, we have a choice. We can either say yes or no to love, but, uh, that, that idea of freedom, then if this is freedom practice, and this is something that, uh, maybe you could speak to, uh, one of the greatest evidences of freedom is self-control. Uh, in fact, I would I would say that that's one of the greatest signs that you're free. And Jesus was the the freest person because he walked with the greatest uh, self-control uh, in every room he went into. It it actually gave him great authority. Any thoughts on that? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, if if you don't have self-control, that means something else controls you. That's good. So 
Uh, and that's usually how people discover who's in control is when they stop controlling them or they where they break that illusion that you know my wife controls me my money controls me my fear whatever it, it's that's when you discover oh i have no self-control in, in this area right. you know i i uh, i my belt controls my appetite because as soon as i eat too much i'm in pain mm-hmm. so my pelt my belt punishes me until i submit and lose some weight. You know, I mean, I mean, there is a, a, a self-control is what prevents something else from controlling me. So if you're, if my son decides to figure out what heroin will do to his life, he's about to find out at what point the authorities will step in, put him in yeah. a cage. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like, yeah, you get you get to actually be out of control for quite a while before you find a cage. Yeah. You know, before you find that. Oh, wow. You are no longer you're no longer. uh, But even in a cage, you still get to control yourself. That's right. That's why it's uh, it's kind of a, a an illusion that obeying rules is some sign of character. <laughs> wow. Because the idea that rule and you know rules are are the evidence of your character would mean that well okay well the place with the most rules would be the people with the most character like prison. Right. Yeah, so so I mean if that were true then prisons would have the people with the most character. Wow. And the only place that has more rules or probably second place to prison is religious structures. No kidding. Mm. Wow. Mm. And those are just, those are symptoms that I'm afraid of freedom. Mm. We're afraid for prisoners to have freedom. So we are loaded. We load them up with rules. We're afraid in, in religious environments. And I'm, and I'm simply, I'm expanding it to all religions. Um, there's lots of rules in religion because people are afraid of their freedom. Leaders are afraid of people's freedom. Wow. So the, the, the true expression or the true demonstration manifestation of your character is freedom. Mm. If you could do whatever you want, what would you do? There's your character. Wow. That's good. Wow. One of the, one of the things um, that I'm hearing you, Say, Danny, a little background on me. I'm um, a licensed psychotherapist, so I have I work out of a group private practice, and I do, you know, I'm, I'm a counselor, so it's kind of my my vocation. But one of the I've also been involved in in churches where uh, I help, you know, implement or try to to help with emotional health and how how to help people, you know, be emotionally healthy and. One of the one of the things I hear you talk about is just the importance of of what it looks like to be emotionally healthy and how spiritual maturity and emotional health can't really be separated. Do you mind talking a little bit about the role of emotional health in not only your life, but just the work that you've done with with people in the past? Um, yeah, I, I agree with that, that it's you can't really separate spiritual maturity and emotional health. Um, uh, I guess if we're defining emotional health as some 
measurement of the fruits of the spirit, you know, and that peace and joy and love. And yeah. It's, it's, they very much go hand in hand. I think the, the confusing part for a lot of people is when they struggle so much with anxiety, they struggle so much with, um, resentment or anger or whatever, and they are quote unquote spiritual leaders. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, you know, they've been authorized to use their leadership gift in the body of Christ. What they didn't really pay attention to was the the development of their self-control, right. the development of their love, the the development of their joy and their peace. So you know, I love what you guys are doing because you're you're really tapping people into the source of those things, and that mm-hmm. is the goodness of the Father, yeah. and and realizing who who our Daddy is and who we are emulating. Yeah. You know, we're, I'm not emulating my earthly father mm-hmm. or even the best earthly leader I've ever met. I'm I'm actually me. I'm emulating someone who's supernatural, mm-hmm. and so these. You know, these these love lines, these honor lines, these joy lines—they're supernatural. They're not something that I simply just got from having a good childhood. And your love is revival. Hey guys, I'm interrupting this podcast for just a minute so I can invite you to partner with us by giving to a family story. A family story is a 501, a nonprofit, and it's our ministry. And it's what allows for me to produce this podcast and other regular content. We've been living this faith journey for a long time, but 2014 was when we officially stepped away from the traditional pastoring approach to full-time ministry. It's been fun. This journey has been wild. And this last year was no less faith-inducing with COVID affecting travel and speaking. And it's been good because, hey, we started a podcast. Our passion is to create content catalytic for an encounter with the always good, transforming, reconciling love of our Heavenly Father. And so our heart through this ministry has always been that through speaking, writing, film, and music, we're relentlessly sharing the goodness of our Father, the good news. Your giving goes directly to support this podcast, as well as written content, discipleship content, teaching small group messages, articles that we release weekly, and also the book I'm writing. I'm excited about what I'm chasing down right now. We appreciate all the support, whether it's sharing, writing a review, following us, signing up for our email list, or financially. We just love being on the journey with you. If you want to give to A Family Story, you can go to afamilystory.org, afamilystory.org, and click on the Give button. All right, thanks, guys. Let's get back to the podcast. love what you're saying the the greatest shift in my life outside of the yes i gave jesus when i was five was around really the statement bill made almost 15 years ago the first time i heard jesus's perfect theology Mm -hmm. and uh and then from that jesus came to do one thing to reveal the father and then to show us what it looks like to live confident as a as a child Mm-hmm. Uh, in your father's affection, from your father's love, from your father's favor, uh, and so the greatest, maybe the greatest shift in my life has been has been that um, that one thought, which gave me so much freedom to discover my father. 
Um, you just talked about freedom and you talked about, and I, it made me think of the, the prodigal son, how a, how a good father um, let, he actually let the, the younger son leave. He actually um, uh, let him leave, but it was the, it was, and then the, it was the revelation for the younger son uh, the, that he was a good master. Um, remembering that he had, uh, he had been kind to the servants that actually drew him back, but then into the arms of a loving father. And uh, you mentioned at the very beginning of this, that you didn't have a dad, but then, you, you know, that Bill stepped in and played some of that role in your life. How important is that? And how important is it that we know God as father? Well, I mean, it's, it's, uh, in my estimation of, uh, the new covenant, it is it is why Jesus came to the earth. You know, it is you know when 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 Adam decides to leave the goodness of God. You know, there's one rule. The way out of here is to break that rule and to dispose of me as the ruler in your life. That's that's the way you get out of being trapped in the goodness of God. Is you decide that I'm not your ruler. Yeah. And the serpent's temptation is God's afraid that you'll be like him, which essentially is you'll be the rule maker. And so Adam turns his heart and says, wow, I'll be the rule maker. Okay. And this is really that self-preservation control thing is I am afraid to be ruled and so I want to rule. And here is the fall of man. The fall of man is no longer. And, the, and the, the lie was that you'll be more like God if you break this rule. When in fact, you'll be more like the serpent when you break this rule. Right. Yeah. You are already like God. That's what the serpent did. The serpent yeah. got cast out of God's presence. So now you have a new ruler. You've wow. just switched governments. This is this is idolatry. This is adultery. You've switched governments. So he now puts on the eyes of the serpent and he looks at the father. And when he looks at the father from this moment on, he's naked, he's ashamed, he's afraid. Yeah. Previous to that, he has no reason to ever, ever be afraid of the father. There's zero experiences in Adam's life to be afraid of the father until... Yeah. He now sees the father through the serpent's eyes. Wow, that's, wow. All of mankind is now trapped in this reality from then on. This is the fall. The fall is no man can see the father as he is. He can only see the father through the serpent's eyes. <laughs> wow. Thousands of years yeah. of momentum in culture yeah. is grown and this is where that that punishment addiction or that that love affair with punishment comes from is protecting myself from god mm. wow i will be the rule maker i will protect myself and so when jesus comes and jesus says if you see me you see my father <laughs> and when when the pharisees come to him and they say you know, we're of our father, Abraham. He's like, no, if you were of my father, you would know me and you don't. You are of your father, the devil, who's been a liar since the beginning. Yeah. Wow. 
so go go ahead. You, you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is this is where unpunishable comes in. Jesus came to show us, you know, unless you're born again, yeah, and you become like a little child, Oof. you won't see the kingdom or the king. As he really is. And so being born again is an opportunity to actually get to see daddy again, like Adam had. Wow. Wow. Hey, what I what I love what you're saying is, because this is the wrestling match. What I love what you're saying is that, that God didn't change, no. which is often uh, what I grew up with. That, you know, you've got this wrath. Somehow, but God didn't change. But our understanding, our perspective, our lens... Uh, whatever, I love how you put it, that we were seeing him through the way that Satan saw him, our lens changed. So it wasn't, it wasn't that, that the father changed. And like that prodigal, he's standing there. He's, he's standing there waiting to greet and knowing uh, that his goodness will draw the prodigal home. And, uh, and then waiting to greet Jesus revealing God in a much different light than our understanding. <laughs> it's kind of crazy that that the you know that 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 story's known about the son. Yeah, mm. yeah. That story that story is about the superstar father, not about the stupid son. <laughs> That's the truth. You know, it's easy to be it's easy to be stupid. It's easy to be selfish. Yeah. It's easy to be dishonoring. Yeah. What that father yeah. did. I mean, imagine you're 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 disrespectful, dishonoring belligerent, <laughs> destructive son comes to you and says, I wish I had my inheritance. I wish you were dead. Oh. I, if you were dead, I would have, I would be able to get to that money. And the father goes and gets it and brings it to him and encourages his son to go destroy himself. Jason and I are like looking at each other saying, who goes next? We, we both got <laughs> I will ask this. I will ask this. Because there's an older brother, and he is pretty ticked off that uh, that the younger son isn't punished, meaning that he has got this thing in him that is required living in that same fallen paradigm or understanding of the nature of the father, and he's requiring punishment. We often see that within the church. What is that about? Yeah, well, this is the the oldest son actually thinks he controls the father through his obedience. Wow. And so, you know, when people are super religious and super obedient, they actually believe that they are instructing God on how this is going to work out. They think they're they're <laughs> just another self-preservation move is I'll just be uber compliant. Mm. And therefore you have to do what I want you to do. And then when he doesn't, they're so blown away. You know, when I'm super religious and I raise my kids the way you said to, and then they fall away, I'm mad at God. Yeah. Yeah. Because I thought I was controlling God the whole time I was parenting my kids in religion. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Danny, one of the one of the things too that, that I want to ask you about is I I'm tracking, I think we're tracking with everything you're saying, but one of for us in our circles, I think if we've gotten any pushback, it's what do we do if, if we're going to be faithful to scripture and if we're going to be faithful to, um, if we're going to take the Bible seriously, what do we do with passages that for some lead people to believe that God is punishing or that God 
um, is, you know, uh, I don't know, like that his wrath is greater than his love. And when you've come up against that, how, how do you navigate that? <laughs> Please give me that address. I'd like to see where that says that. <laughs> it sounds like this. What about Job? What, what if, well, I'd say Jesus. <laughs> well, I, you know what? They're, they're, Blessed are those who thirst and hunger after righteousness. They shall be filled. The rest of you get to stay hungry. Wow. You know, and I don't spend any time arguing with people who want to hang on to what they have. Mm. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm looking for the hungry and the thirsty. That's who I want to, I want to minister to those people. That's good. Uh, I think when, when the young rich ruler comes to Jesus and says, Hey, you know, what do I got to do to join your posse? And, uh, he says, well, Hey, just got to go give away all, all, everything you have. You go, oh, Whoa, Whoa, dude, I'm so rich though. I'm, I kind of have a self-preservation model in my life. And, and, uh, and the guy goes away sad. Wow. And Jesus watches him walk away. He doesn't chase him down. You know, he yeah. doesn't like, Hey, Whoa, what are you doing? Walk yeah. away from Jesus. You know, yeah. those, right. You know, that's a bad choice. <laughs> no, he just watches him walk away and he turns to his disciples and says, man, it's harder for a rich guy to get into the kingdom than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Right. And, you know, he doesn't lower the bar. He doesn't try to talk him out of it. He doesn't give him a, a, a you know, a, a do-over. He watches him walk away sad. I have a, I, I, I have a thought, and you can tell me what you think about this, but I use this analogy, and I've done it a couple of times on this podcast, of the, 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 the sower. My dad called me up one day and he said, what if, Jason, what if there's one way of looking at this that's linear? And first, the sower sows everywhere, like he has an abundance of seed, like he has a measureless amount. And he doesn't seem concerned that it falls on only good soil. But what if when it lands on uh, the, the road, even as the birds before they get there, uh, it's the seed so powerful, it's changed the nature of the soil and the soil becomes rocky and then rocky soil becomes weedy and then weedy so finally you have good soil and i asked that even that guy that's walking away from jesus i'm like he, he jesus actually knew what that man needed to hear and spoke the truth in love and and so i have hope in my heart that at some point that guy was a grand follower of jesus does that make sense uh yeah sure i mean um there I mean, there's two, there's two directions we can go, you know, we can go towards him or away from him. That's, that's the tree. That's good. You know, and the far, the, you know, it's, it's, uh, I mean, it, we all want a happy ending, right? <laughs> you know, we want, we want, we want, we want all this, all these things to work out. Um, they don't all work out, but they all have the chance to work out. Mm. That's good. A lot of the the stuff you do, Danny, is on, you know, is talking to leadership and talking to leaders. I, I just love to hear what you're, as, as someone that does this kind of work and um, speaks with leaders, what what are you seeing in, in our landscape with not just COVID, but just, you know, 2020 and just what, what you're seeing in regards to leadership with the, with the kind of work that you're doing? Or even what's happening in the church as far as... Where do you see the church going? I do think that there's a great awakening to the goodness of God in, in ways that uh, uh, we're, we're growing in revelation in that area. 
maybe that's a way of asking where do you th- where do you see the church going and, and leadership going? I feel like the uh, the the goodness of the Father is about to be on display more clear maybe than since the flood or the Tower of Babel or you know it's something. I mean, I can't even think of a thing that is a, that is going to <laughs> rock the planet as much as what is coming with this. The, I think the the Great Awakening isn't even a big enough term because I think what's about to be revealed that people cannot believe, don't want to believe, is how wicked. Lucifer is, and how much control of society Lucifer gets credit for. And once people see that, how absolutely wicked Lucifer is. And it's not the Democrats or the Republicans or the this color or that color, or it is Lucifer running this world through people. But it's the wickedness of the devil that we think we've become so civilized there is no devil anymore. Once that is on display, and it's about to be in in the coming years, it's about to be on display, and people are going to turn and see how good God is. (laughs) Wow. But as long as you can hide the devil, you don't really need a God. You don't need a father. You don't need a savior. You don't, you don't really, you don't. I mean, you can kind of get by with Netflix. (laughs) There's such a great, great, great longing to know father and to know the goodness of God. I think it is the crisis of our Western culture. We've been taught, I think, to be honest, I think we've been taught a a God that is wrathful. He's been misrepresented at times. and, And I think that you're right. I think that this this great move of God is is all about the goodness of God and the goodness of our Father. Yeah, I think when when people think that darkness is light, until they actually see darkness for what it is, they won't really appreciate light. Yeah. And so I I think that you know, like it's like when Jesus says, you know, if your eye is dark, how great is that darkness? Uh-huh. And I think our society has been lulled into thinking. That what we have is some kind of light. Yeah. And it's it's about to be, oh man, I, I just I mean, a, you know, it's gonna be shocking and it's gonna be terrible yeah. when people yeah. discover what is required to draw anointing from Lucifer. People are people are going to be blown away at what human beings will do to get more power to preserve themselves with more control. What what the devil requires human beings to do and that they do is going to be so overwhelming that people are going to run into the light. People are going to run into a loving father's arms. And I think that that's what's coming our way. Wow. It's Pretty stunning. Wow. That we are alive today. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like the church is actually being prepared to, uh, that the world is being prepared to recognize, like you said, the difference between light and darkness will be so clear. 
uh, that that scripture that you use, the, where the eye is is clear, where the eye is healthy, the body's full of light, but uh, where the eye is unhealthy, the body's full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I might use this as a jumping point off to give you just a few minutes. Because you write about unpunishable, I imagine you're constantly asked about eternal conscious suffering, or if you aren't, maybe you've avoided the question. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but um, in the last several years, I've described I've described hell this way, that when your eye is unhealthy, your body is full of darkness and suddenly light comes in and you perceive it as darkness. It's not that we're separated from him. It's not that he's punishing us. It's that we we are actually um, feeling the sense of separation from our choices and we are experiencing punishment. Is that something you'd want to tackle in the next five minutes? Uh, sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that, uh, is it uh, C.S. Lewis? says, you know, it's not a, a question of God sending us to hell. It, it, in each one of us, there is some hell that is growing up, you know. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's about managing the, the direction we're pointing. You know, repentance is what allows us to turn around. Mm -hmm. And so without repentance, there's no reconciliation. And without reconciliation, there's no restoration. So wow. it, it's, it's so much about integration and disintegration. Mm. You know, anybody that's done any work or, or had any family member who, who became an addict and, and you watch their life disintegrate. Mm. Yeah. You know, their their soul, their spirit, their body just comes apart. Yeah. It just comes apart. They're, and that is actually the enemy's assignment is to disintegrate people mm. as much as being born again and drawn into the presence of God is is a, 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 a shalom maneuver, which is to reintegrate you. You know, Jesus suffers on the cross. He he suffers body, soul, wow. and spirit wow. to reintegrate man. <laughs> That's good. You know, he get, okay. gains authority over disintegration. That's beautiful. That is so good. <laughs> yeah. So I think, you know, to, to hell is the ultimate disintegration. Okay. Mm. You lose your humanity. And, and heaven is to become more than human, you know, to become like him, divine. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. you know, it's really a, a, a course that people choose. God does not throwing people into hell. People are running to hell. Yeah. Right. Right. I think that the, the image of people running to hell and him, him intervening and saying stop yeah and they say get away from me get no i don't want it and he intervenes and he intervenes and he intervenes and people just are just running full tilt boogie to this <laughs> this self-preservation like i'm going to be the rule maker i'm going to be the rule maker wow i don't want a ruler i want to be the ruler yeah that uh and in, in your book you talk about romans one right where it talks about he he turns us over to you know whatever it is that we're engaging in yeah. because he's a god that values choice and freedom. Yeah. I think Paul really captures it really well there in, in, in Romans one. That's really good. Oh, Danny, this is good. I I, I know that we're <laughs> our, our time is up, and I think we could spend an hour on repentance and authenticity. What that looks like, but maybe some 
somewhere down the road. Yeah. We want to save just enough time because this is Rethinking God with Tacos. <laughs> so are you a taco guy? I like tacos. Okay, that's important. Yeah. Do you have a favorite kind of taco or a, or a favorite taco place? Oh, gosh. Uh, probably the best tacos I remember having were in a, a little town in Mexico. And, uh, you know, you it's just like it feels like an endless supply of tacos like they just keep they just keep bringing them that's heaven right there <laughs> <laughs> yeah and they're not giant you know so you can eat like they're kind of like you know like vitamins or something you know you could eat a lot of them you yeah could, like muffins they're not like a whole cake they're like muffins oh, that's awesome is there anything as far as uh we're going to send people to loving on purpose and then also you have um, Life Academy. Yeah, uh, Loving on Purpose will get you to where you need to get to. Uh, Life Academy's on there. All the books and different things are on there. But the Life Academy right now, I mean, it's normally at, uh, it was at $75 per uh, set. It's now $10, $10 per set for the uh, oh wow the uh, lockdown that we've all been in. Um, I think that's... Uh, we we just open that up. It's still going. Wow. So ten bucks per uh, takes you through to the end of the year, I think. And uh, it's there's some really great stuff in there. There is. There That's is. Awesome. Like I said, our kids, uh, our two oldest, have have that was part of their homeschool curriculum. Oh. Well, thank you, thank you so much yeah. for spending an hour with us. You're welcome. We sure appreciate you. I appreciate you, Danny, too. Uh, you've been a great impact in our lives. Yeah, well, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to this episode. We hope it encouraged. Uh, we had a lot of fun making it. If you guys want to subscribe to this podcast, please do. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all of them. Anywhere you might listen and, to podcasts. Leave a review. Leave a review. Also, if you want to follow us on uh, social media, um, you can go uh, to, uh, I know this man has a Twitter account. We both do. Um, and if you want to find us uh, online, we're at afamilystory.org, afamilystory.org. Also, you can reach me there if you want to get a hold of us for any reason at uh, jason at afamilystory.org. We're excited that you guys are on this journey with us, and we look forward to releasing more content. Yep. Yeah, thanks. See you.